Hello and welcome. This is Jordan Rich and you're tuned to On Mic with Jordan Rich, dedicating a series of podcasts during the COVID-19 pandemic experience. When I have an opportunity to talk with the guests such as General Joseph Langell, the 28th Chief of the National Guard Bureau and a current member of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, I jump at that chance. He happens to be from the Boston area just north of town. Oddly enough, many other Joint Chiefs of Staff are also from Massachusetts. But I thought we'd uh, just chat with the general briefly about the role of the National Guard, not only in this crisis, but in general throughout the history of the U.S., and how important our neighbors and friends are who serve. So it is with great pleasure and honor that I invite General Joseph Lengel to join us on mic. General, thank you for your service and for everyone doing such a great job. I think right off the bat, we should mention the fact that the National Guard is is neighbors, men and women in our community, isn't it? Tell us about, before we get into what the response is for COVID, what the National Guard is up to on a regular basis. Well, first, uh, let me say thanks to you uh, for, for what you do and for letting um, me come on your program and, and talk about the National Guard. We're We're a very unique part of the American military and you know, we're, uh, we have, um, you know, 450,000 men and women in the Army and Air National Guard, and we're in every state, uh, every territory, um, and the District of Columbia. And, you know, you mentioned uh, we're very busy, notwithstanding the COVID response. Uh, you know, we, uh, we have men, men, men and women deployed all over the world right now. We've got 30,000 uh, men and women deployed as they are activated as part of the Army and part of the Air Force all over the world. Um, and, uh, you know, that's kind of our steady state number that we've been operating with uh, for the last uh, six, eight years as I've been here in the Pentagon. Um, but we're very, very busy just as part of the Army and the Air Force, notwithstanding what we do here right. uh, in the homeland for domestic response. Now, let's talk about where we are right now, because it's it's still in the critical stage. And thank God for the National Guard and so many others stepping up. Uh, your response has been uh, pretty impressive, and it's changing. It's morphing, isn't it? Well, well, sure it is. I mean, you know, at, at the beginning of any emergency, we, we go into you know, what we call the immediate response phase, as, as you try to figure out exactly what's happening and what they're going to be needing you to do, um, you know, to do what we do, which is to save lives and prevent suffering and to mitigate damage, um, you know, throughout our communities. And, and we're doing that. We have uh, 32,000 members of the National Guard all over the country that have risen, and, and we have started off as uh, first, uh, you know, immersing ourselves in in the testing business as we began to try and help the country determine the extent uh, to which the disease had already spread. Um, but in many cases, uh, we've, we've gone into doing other things, uh, such as uh, manning phone banks or such as uh, food banks and delivering and making sure that people who no longer have access to food stores can, can have food and sustain themselves throughout this thing. So. We're, uh, we're doing a, a myriad of different things, and it, it's going to change now. And even, um, you know, as, the, as this has transpired, we've had to do less pleasant things like recover people from their homes who have passed away as a result mm-hmm. of the virus. Um, so, unfortunately, there's a, a myriad of tasks that we have to do, and that's what the National Guard can do. It can be brought to do just about any task that the community needs us. People might think it's, uh, as you say, those deployed overseas or those just helping out during a natural disaster, but you've got some very skilled individuals throughout the ranks. Talk a little bit about some of the kinds of people in the Guard that are helping out. 
So, um, you know, that's one of the neat, the neatest things about the National Guard is, you know, there are people that live two kinds of lives. They, they live a little piece of um, part of the time. Uh, they live a piece of the, uh, of the military life as a guardsman. Um, and then, but the majority of the time, they live as civilians, and and uh, they have entire careers and lives built around uh, successfully contributing and pursuing lives in the civilian sector. And oftentimes, um, that makes the National Guard member uniquely experienced and qualified, and they bring various skill sets to us. Um, you know, that to the military, for instance, you may have. You know, a, a, a young enlisted person who may be an E3 enlisted, enlisted uh, uh, three, uh, you know, grade, very young, but but yet on the civilian life they they are um, an accountant or they're a uh, even a teacher in a college or or something along those lines. So they bring enormous skill sets with them uh, to to it to the military problem that they get from being. Um, civilians in their, in, in their civilian capacity. What's different about this particular response during this unprecedented crisis that we're in, in terms of where the direction is coming from? We know the governors have a lot of authority when it comes to the Guard calling them out, but is it different at this particular point because it's a nationwide issue? Well, I think there's a lot different about this particular response. Um, you know, first and foremost, you know, I, I think uh, it's important to recognize that you know that uh, it's widely um, uh, accepted. I think that 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 when you have an emergency response, the emergency response is best led by those uh, on the ground. The the, the unique emergency response met networks that are resident already in um, in Massachusetts, for instance, they know specifically um, and, and more exactly what needs to be done inside Massachusetts than than perhaps they would if they've tried to direct this thing from Washington or the Pentagon or Northern Command. And, and so what makes this difference is that it is impacting every single state and, and that to a various degree, it, it's, it's been hitting New York and the Northeast um, most heavily, heavily recently, but we're seeing it um, you know, expand at different rates all around the country. And in some places it's begun uh, perhaps to maybe looks like it, it's it's subsiding a bit, like in Washington State and and other places where they're considering uh, options to begin to reopen. Uh, I think the the states as conditions permit. But what makes it very unique is that every single state is impacted. And you know, as a member of the Joint Chiefs, and it's uh, you know I'll, I'll mention it's kind of interesting that uh, there's an awful lot of us here that happen to be from Boston. By the way, I mean I know that. Uh, General Milley, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, grew up in Boston, and General McConville, the chief of the Army, is from Boston, and, and Admiral Gilday, who's the chief of the Navy, grew up in Lowell, and uh, and so there's a lot of us that happen to be uh, from the New England. I think it's it's by accident, maybe, but uh, it's um, a lot of Red Sox fans sitting in the tank, actually, where we meet <laughs> to talk about this stuff. But it, it's a it, it has impacted us all to the point of this this has made it hard for us to recruit the force and train the force. And be ready. I mean, we're still ready, but you know, when you have a, a, a an event like this that impacts the nation to this degree, um, it's a big concern for the Pentagon because you want to maintain a ready force in case you have to use it for some other bad country that's trying to do something to us. Is it likely? I don't know if this is true or not. That you can move forces, guardsmen from one state to another. Can they cross state boundaries? In other words, if needed, in a place like New York. 
Well, certainly you, you can, um, but again, that's another unique thing about this particular um, pandemic is, uh, you know, generally when you have a, a domestic response, what, what, no matter what it is, whether it's an ice storm or whether it's a hurricane or a flood, generally it's confined to some part of, of the region where you can augment the response with people who aren't impacted by the, by the event. So, um, you know, for ice storms in New England, you can get people to come in from the south if you need to that will um, be able to add capacity to the, to, the, to the recovery and to the response. Where this case has happened, it's every, because everybody is impacted, um, there's, there's less of an appetite uh, or less of an ability to share um, different parts of the military and the National Guard uh, state to state because everybody needs it at home. And and so uh, that that has made this more challenging. And you know, as we look to the future, you know, we do have hurricane season starting here in about a month and a half, the beginning of June, sometime. Hurricane season formally starts. And and a couple of things, you're going to have uh, the states who, who all of their emergency response budgets are going to be uh, already greatly impacted by this response. Um, but then you're going to have to deal with you know doing a response. Uh, where some of the population is, uh, or you're in an environment that's infected with the virus. And so that's going to be a, a bit of a challenge to us, and we're thinking long and hard about how we may have to respond differently uh, or think differently about where you used to count on borrowing, borrowing uh, capacity from another state to help you deal with it. In this particular season, in this particular time, uh, those things that you count on from other states might not be available to you. First responders now number in the hundreds of thousands, not just healthcare workers, but police, fire, and National Guardsmen and women. You have to be concerned with their safety. What I mean, above and beyond the traditional things? Are you doing anything uh, specially important to protect your troops? So, I mean, taking care of our troops and looking out for our members and their families and our health and safety is incredibly important to us. Um, and, you know, you mentioned the entire first responder network. You know, Jordan, we deal with these same folks uh, all across the country throughout all our emergencies, and and we are just thankful uh, that um, we're able to be part of, of this total effort. Um, but as you've seen, I mean, as many, and in some cases, as many as, uh, as 15 or 20 percent of the medical workers have become uh, COVID positive. It, it's just a very difficult um, environment to work in where it's hard to stay um, absolutely, um, you know, free from yourself from being infected by the virus. And, you know, the many policemen that, that have been impacted and infected are out sick and, um, and the entire first responder network, it's, it's, it says a lot about the community and these people who put themselves at risk uh, while everyone else is, is sheltering in place. And you've got all the first responder networks that really can't do that. They have to be out there to keep the public safe and to do their job to, uh, for the health and safety of, of all Americans. Um, but we kind of know that going in. And, um, you know, I've often wondered, uh, you know, it's, we're, we're very lucky as a nation that we have men and women who are willing to serve not just in the National Guard but in all of the first responder networks that when bad things happen in, in, their, in their neighborhoods, uh, they go running to the, to the sound of the guns, as we say in the National Guard, um, and offer to bring assistance and comfort to the rest of the Americans. It's a, it's a very, very, um, you know, satisfying uh, community to be a part of. 
Before I wrap up with my final point, I'd love you to share any particular story of either present day or in the recent past that has touched you about a member of the Corps, a member of the Guard, you know, something that we can grasp onto and say, wow, there's an example of what the general is talking about. And there's a reason for hope and inspiration. We love stories here in Boston. So you want to share one or two with us? Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, it's just, you know, along those lines of, of, of where do you find uh, people that, that uh, you know, in many cases, you might, you might not be surprised to know that, um, you know, because our members are usually successful in their civilian careers and they have some high-powered jobs that, that um, oftentimes when they have to be called away from their civilian uh, jobs to work in the National Guard as, and that's what's unique about us, right, in the Guard, because first the President can mobilize us and send us to fight our nation's wars around the world, or um, the Governor, Governor Baker, can call forward the men and women of the National Guard and make them leave their jobs and come do things for the, the, for the people of the Commonwealth. And, and I think, um, you know, I've talked, uh, talking to a young soldier one time, and I said, uh, Hey, so um, you know, is this hard on you and your family? And did you volunteer uh, to come do this? And he said, Well, um, you know, I volunteered the day I put the uniform on, and um, you know that says a lot, I think, about the people who um, who come and work for us. And you know, it's uh, it, the 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 Americans. You know, this month, uh, April, um, this coming weekend, I think, had this COVID not happened, I'd have been in Salem instead of Washington, D.C., and I'd have been there to celebrate uh, what is considered the first muster. You know, the origins of the National Guard started in Salem, uh, Boston, uh, in 1636, and in April of 1637, um, they had the first muster on the Salem Common. And uh, I've been there before. I was there two years ago with Governor Baker in a blinding snowstorm uh, in April. It was at the beginning of April. They decided to move it a couple years later, and it was cold and but I'll tell you what was great was to see the Massachusetts National Guard formed up out there on the common and uh, realizing that, uh, you know, for 383 years, um, men and women in the National Guard have come uh, to the service of their country, whether it's uh, to fight wars, and we've been in every one of them, uh, or to come when our nation needs us uh, in times of emergency. So I couldn't be more proud of who we are and what we're doing um, you know, to, to if I could end by saying thanks to the men and women, um, you know, who are out there serving in harm's way and their families who support them and their employers who continue to employ them and, and sustain uh, their ability to live two lives, one as a patriot and a service member and one as a, a citizen uh, who just wants to make a difference and do things for their country. And I'm honored to represent them here in Washington. And thank you, uh, Jordan, for letting me tell that story. General Joseph Langell, 28th Chief of the National Guard Bureau and a member of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. What a pleasure and what an honor it is to speak with you, sir. And please extend our deepest appreciation to all National Guard members across the country doing an amazing job. We really appreciate it. You know, thanks for letting me come on. And and let me just offer to you, Jordan, if you ever, you know, something ever piques your interest about the National Guard and you want me to come on and talk to you about it, I'd love to do it. And uh, I still got some family up there living in Salem and and out on the Cape and, and uh, every, uh, one of my favorite places in the world. 
A distinguished guest, General Joseph Langell, the 28th Chief of the National Guard Bureau and a member of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, serving as a military advisor to the President, Secretary of Defense, National Security Council, and the Department of Defense's official channel of communication to the governors and state adjutants general on all matters pertaining to the National Guard. They are here, they are working for us, and we have so many reasons to be proud of the National Guard and all of those on the front lines. Thanks for subscribing and downloading my podcast, available on all podcast platforms. Special thanks to Dan Tebow of Fast Twitch Media, Ken Carberry of Chart Productions, most importantly to you for checking us out and staying connected. This is Jordan Rich, as always, saying be well so you can do good. Take care.